Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first 17 verses. Paul begins his epistle by saying, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that you've given me to be able to expound upon your word. And Lord, I'm thankful that that we are, Lord, just servants. We're just vessels to be used by you. And Lord, I pray that you would just enable me and help me to to preach your word of God. And Lord, I pray that I would not deviate from it, that I would say just what it says, and that you would use it to, to work, to sanctify your church. So Lord, help me. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So the book of Romans is an epistle to a church in Rome. It's not to some universal church like so many commentaries say. It's to an actual church in Rome. And we don't know who started this church. Um, Paul had not had the, vi- the privilege yet to, to visit the church, but we know that Priscilla and Aquila were there. He mentions them at the end of this epistle. But he begins, by, he begins his epistle here by letting everybody know what his topic is. His topic is the gospel of God. It's the gospel. And he sort of gives a summary of the gospel in these first 17 verses, and then through the rest of the book he begins and just expounds upon all the doctrines of the gospel. And I think that if I was stranded on an island and had to pick one book that I could take with me, I think it would be the book of Romans. Now, a lot of people have called it the gospel according to Paul. And I think that's, that's a pretty accurate and good description. 
Um, it's, uh, it's loaded. <laughs> it's a wonderful book. But we're going to look at three things. First, we're going to see the gospel of the, uh, the, the, we will see that the gospel of God is first a gospel of servitude. Secondly, it is a gospel of promise. And thirdly, it is a gospel of proclamation. But first, like I said, it is a gospel of servitude. Verse 1, Paul begins his epistle by, by stating that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. His qualification, he doesn't rattle off all of his qualifications, all of his PhDs, his, you know, what college he went from or anything like that. He just says, a servant of Jesus Christ. And that is the only qualifying factor that, that he should ever have to give. He's a servant of the Lord. And it is very fitting that he, those are the beginning of his, his words in this epistle. He is a servant of Jesus Christ. The word servant literally means slave, means bond, a bondman. Now turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 21. So we think of a servant. I think I need to move this down a little bit. So we think of a servant, we usually don't think of uh, somebody of great stature. We think of somebody who is poor, who's needy. And certainly, you know, Jesus, Jesus um, told the Jews how they were supposed to treat servants. It wasn't anything like the certain, you know, slavery like we like we've seen in America and other places in the world. But uh, starting in verse Exodus chapter twenty-one, verse one through six, it says, "Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them." If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself." And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him into the judges. He also shall bring him to the door and into the door of the post. And his master shall bore his ear through with an owl. And he shall serve him forever. So servants at this time, they were to be released every seven years unless... They loved their master, and they wanted to continue serving their master. And if that was the case, they were to go to the master, and the master was to go to the judge, and they were to make a determination there. And if the determination was that he was going to do it, it was a lifelong commitment that he was going to be the servant of his master. And they would stick a hole, they would owe a mark in his ear, pierce his ear, showing that he is a servant of somebody, and it's permanent. So the people who Paul is writing this to, they understand this. They understand what a servant is. It's per, you know, it can be permanent. And he's claiming himself to be the servant of Jesus Christ. Now, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you believe the gospel, you are making yourself a servant to Christ. You're giving yourself to Him. You're recognizing that He is a good Master. He is a good Lord. 
and you give yourself, your body, to Him. Paul gave himself to the Master. And when you and I receive the gospel, we're not our own anymore. We're Jesus Christ. We don't, we're not to live for ourselves. We're not to live for our passions or pleasures. For, for anybody else, we are to serve the Lord and Him only. Turn to John chapter 10. John 10, starting in verse 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. So Jesus is the good shepherd. We could even say that he is the good master. He's actually called that in several different passages. And look down at verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. When you give your life to the good Master, to the Lord, you are eternally His. You are His forever. You're you're no longer to ever go back to serve anybody else. You're no longer to live for yourself. You're no longer to live for any other person other than Jesus Christ and Him only. And Jesus Christ seals us with that Holy Spirit of promise, we're told. We're eternally His. And Paul wanted, you know, Paul, he mentions in this passage that he wanted to go to this church in Rome. Obviously, we know that the Lord had other plans for them, for him, and, and you know, they weren't. From man's eyes, those other plans were not too appealing. He suffered much. We know that at the end, closer to the end of his life, he ends up going to Rome, but it's not, it's not to visit the church at Rome. It's, he's a prisoner. But Paul, you know, the Lord had other plans for him. He wasn't able to go because he recognized, I'm not just my own person. I'm to do what the Lord has called me to do. I am the Lord's servant. So I ask you an application here to this is who, who are you servant to or what are you a servant to? Are you a servant to your life? Are you a servant to your job? Now obviously there is a, there is a, there is a part of us that, that we have to give ourselves to our employer in a sense. But God is to have first place in our life. If our employer wants us to work on Sundays, then obviously we're not to, to obey that employer. We're to obey the Lord because Christ is our, our chief master. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. So what do you live for? Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? And I think of many different things that can ensnare us, that can pull us away from, from actually living a life of service for the Lord. You know, I don't know about you, but there's many things in this world that are distracting. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I know I'm having you turn to a lot of different passages.
1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, Paul said, or let's start in verse 26. Paul said, I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into the subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, Paul recognized his own fleshly sinful nature. And he, he says that he, he's, in a sense, he, he has put off all of his pleasures. He's put off all of his desires. He does not be, become subject or be, become under bondage under, uh, of anything. He keeps his body under subjection that he would not please his, his fleshly and his worldly appetites. And with that, he might run the race that was set before him. He, was, he didn't want to be a castaway. And that should be a great fear of you and I. You know, a castaway, it's sort of, it's sort of the idea there is, is that, you know, if we're fishing, you know, you catch one that's too small and you, you cast it out, it's no good, it's, it's worthless to you. That's sort of the idea. Paul feared that. He didn't want to be a castaway in God's eyes. I'm thankful that God's children are kept by the power of God. But there is a sense we must fight. And Christians will fight. They will endure. And they will keep their body under, under subjection. They won't allow themselves to be ensnared by the things of this world. They won't allow themselves to, to fall snared to their own flesh and become to be brought back under that bondage. And there are times where we struggle and that we fail. But if you live after the flesh, the Bible says you shall die. And Paul was concerned of that. So I asked you, what are some things that you struggle with? What are you servant to? You know, the world is trying to program us. Pastor Byler has said that many times. But it's so true. You're, that smartphone is so... It, it, it's, it, it releases dopamine in your brain. Every time you, you look at it, you get, a tech, you get a text message or you get a like on Facebook or, or whatever it may be, a new video post or... We're always looking to be entertained. We're always looking to be amused in this world. And those things can become a snare to us, especially if we allow them to keep us from serving the Lord like we ought. Do those things keep us from having our devotions? Do those things keep us from walking and, and meditating always upon the things of the Lord? Do they keep us from praying without ceasing? Are you a servant to your television? Are you a servant to, to food? Are you a servant to coffee? Now, coffee can be very addicting. It's addicting for me. I love me some coffee. But I found myself, I have to be careful. I can't, if I drink too much of it, I can become addicted to it. Or if I don't get it, I, I get horrible headaches. I can't function right. Coffee's not wrong. We shouldn't be enslaved to, 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 to coffee in that sense. We should be careful. So what are, you, what are you a slave to? What do you have to have that maybe the Lord doesn't want you to have? You know, are you a slave to debt? This nation is, is greatly enslaved to debt, to credit cards, to loans. Now, everybody has a car payment nowadays. I'm not saying a car payment is wrong. But our world, the focus... You know, things have changed so much. 
you know, a couple decades ago, people having a, a car loan, that, that was, was kind of looked down upon if you had a car loan or if you had credit card debt. Now everybody has it. And it's just become normal. It's the new normal. But we ought to not allow ourselves to become a slave to our debit card, to the banks, to any man. That could get so bad to where we're so, you know, we can't give to faith promise like we should. We can be tempted because we're not bringing in enough to be able to provide for our family, or we can look at our budget and begin to say, well, I can't quite, I can't quite pay my tithe this month. We ought to be careful. And if, we're, if we take on so much debt to where we open ourselves up to that temptation, that's, that's very dangerous. So we ought to be careful. The Lord is our ma- If you're born again, the Lord is your master. He should determine your life and the choices that you make and the life that you live. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Let love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. To live after the, the, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, it, it's of the devil. It's not of God. And we as Christians living in this country that is so blessed, we can become ensnared by all of these things that we see, all of this prosperity to where we, be, we can become under bondage by the things of this world, by its systems, by its way of, of thinking, but Paul, he said, you know, he wasn't enslaved to any man but Jesus Christ. He was a servant of God. Secondly, we see in our passage that he, he, he claimed that he was separated into the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, if you're a servant of Jesus Christ, you're going to be separate. You're going to be separated into the gospel. The good news, that's what the gospel means. The good news of Jesus Christ. Salvation. Eternal life. Holiness. This idea that, that, that we can live after the things of the world and live after you know, our pleasures and all these different things and have God is not right. It's not biblical. It's not true. And the Bible warns over and over and over again about allowing the things of this world to ensnare us. Jesus said in Matthew 6.24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The only way to interpret that verse is if you, if you love the world, you're despising God. That's the only way. You, you, you can't love the world and love God. Jesus didn't leave any room there. He said if you love the world, you, you despise God. So we ought to be very careful. We say we love God, but do we really love Him? 
Are we obedient to him? Who are you serving? Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? Second thing we see is the gospel is something that we are separated unto. It is a gospel of servitude. But secondly, it is a gospel of promise. Paul says in verse 2, which he had promised afore by his prophets, speaking of God, in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, the gospel is not, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not some new thing. It is the gospel that was before ordained, before the foundation of the very world, the, before the foundation of the very world. God had, had chosen this gospel and ordained this gospel before there ever even was time, space. Turn to 1 Peter, verse 18. 1 Peter 18 says, For as much as ye know that ye are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by the tradition from your Father, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times. God's plan of redemption is eternal. It's always been and always will be. It is an eternal gospel. And Paul says, this gospel that I'm going to be speaking to you about is the gospel that the prophets once spoke of. Turn to, well, actually don't turn there. We all know this verse in in Genesis chapter 3. That's the first verse we read about the gospel of Jesus Christ where it talks about the Lord will come from the seed of the woman and will bruise the head of Satan, the serpent, the devil. He will deal a death blow to Satan to redeem man. It is the gospel that was declared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, that through them all the nations of the world would be blessed through them, through their seed, through the Messiah. It is the gospel so vividly declared in Isaiah 53 where Isaiah declared, Who hath believed a report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. We know the rest. This isn't some new gospel. This is the gospel of the past. It is also the gospel of the future. The gospel of God is the one and only everlasting gospel which has been and always will be proclaimed by God's people forever and ever. Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7 says, John is speaking of a vision that he saw, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains and water. The gospel is eternal. That's what everlasting means. It means without beginning, without end. The gospel always has been. It always will be. It's God's redemptive plan. This whole book, that's what this whole book is about. 
It's about the gospel from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. And we, obviously we know that in eternity we're still going to be saying, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. We're still going to be singing and praising Jesus Christ in the same gospel. The gospel that saved us, that redeemed us. The same gospel that, that's, that, that is going to redeem this earth. Now there's so much evil in this earth. There's so much wrong in this earth. But because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Lord's going to, he's going to destroy all this wrong that we see and he's going to build a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to take back the earth. He's going to reclaim what is rightfully his. And this is the gospel that, that Paul is speaking of. The gospel concerns Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the gospel. You cannot separate the gospel from Jesus Christ. They're one and the same. Jesus is the good news. And Paul is, is qualifying all that he's going to expound upon, telling them that this is what I'm going to be writing to you about, is this gospel. We see the gospel, we've seen the gospel's past, the gospel's future, and we see the gospel, the gospel's proof. Paul says, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus proved his humanity as the Messiah by being the seed of David. He promised that he would come through Abraham's seed and that he would come through the seed of David. And we know by looking at the book of Luke and Matthew, we can follow the genealogies and see that Jesus Christ, Mary, came from or ascended from Abraham, from Isaac, from David. He was of the seed of David. Jesus is the Emmanuel spoken of in the Old Testament. Emmanuel means God with us. He is God incarnate. And this is the gospel he is declaring. And the fact that he came from the seed of David proved his humanity, that, that he was the Messiah. But it gets better than that. Jesus proved his deity by his holiness and resurrection. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life that nobody else could live. He was born of a virgin without the sin, nature, the blood of, of man. But yet he was fully man but yet he was fully God, and he proved that he was both by rising from the dead. Death could not hold the giver of life. It couldn't contain him. He rose. And we know, actually, turn over there. We got time. Turn to the book of Acts. Chapter 1, 
It says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus both began to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Ghost. Let me, before I go on, when it talks about, um, well, this, let, let me continue. Had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The, the, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is proved by many infallible proofs. And that's what Luke here is saying in, in the book of Acts, that it's been verified. And Paul is saying the same exact thing. He's saying he declared Jesus Christ proved his, his, his Messiahship as the seed of David, his humanity as being the Messiah through the seed of, of David, but he proved his holiness and his deity by the life which he lived and by his resurrection. And this is the gospel whom he is, what he is, that he is preaching about. The gospel that we are, this is the gospel that we are separated unto. This is Paul's gospel. This is my gospel. And this should be your gospel as well. Now, in Romans 6.25, Paul says that he, he calls the gospel his gospel. It's because it is. It's his good news. It's your good news. It's the world's good news. It's everybody's good news if they'll but receive it. If the wicked would receive the good news, it's, it would be good news to them. It's good news. But yet men reject the good news. It's so foolish. So this is our gospel, and we should be separated unto this gospel which concerns Jesus Christ, the Holy One, who rose from the dead, who's been proclaimed from the beginning of time, who God had before ordained that he would, he would die, that he would become sin for man, and t- that he would redeem man. It's God's eternal redemptive work. And this is, it's, we get to rejoice in it and claim it as our own. It's our redemptive work. We are saved. Saved from sin and we're being sanctified day by day by day. God continues. He saved us from hell and the consequences of that, but he continues to save us through this work that we call sanctification. Day after day after day, God is saving us and working in us to perfect us, to cleanse us. This is our good news. It is the good news of the gospel. It's your good news. If you're born again, it's your good news. And you should rejoice in this good news. And there's plenty of proof that the good news concerns Jesus Christ. It's verified. It's been verified by God by, by the resurrection. We see that it is also it is a gospel of proclamation. Let me get back over to the book of Romans. In verse, uh, verse 5, Paul says, By whom, speaking of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, 
among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul said, for obedience to the faith among all nations. And, you know, we're not apostles in the sense that Paul was an apostle, but the word apostle does mean sent one, and we are all sent. If you're born again, you're sent by God into the world. If you're a part of his church, you're sent by God to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have received this marvelous gospel by grace alone for a purpose. The purpose is for obedience to the faith among all nations. We didn't receive the gospel just for ourselves. We received the gospel that we might proclaim the gospel to all around the world. As, as Pastor Schmid spoke about this morning, we are to show forth the praise of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Promise I won't keep you over time this, this time. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. This is our commission. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Through the gospel, through receiving this gospel, we have received something that needs to be spread abroad. We have received a commission. We have received, in a sense, an apostleship. And don't get confused with what I mean by that. I don't mean apostle as the old-time apostles. But we're all sent to go proclaim Jesus Christ and this gospel to others. Paul said that I am a debtor both to the Greek, to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He saw himself a debtor to the world. And you and I, we are debtors. to We, we owe the world this gospel. We owe the world to go, you know, what kind of monster would allow somebody, you know, they, they know that their house, somebody plans on burning their house down at, at two o'clock in the morning when all their family, their dog, they're all going to be in there and you know about it and you don't call the police and tell them about it. What kind of monster would that make you? You just let something like that happen. You know what's a lot worse? A whole lot worse is having the gospel of Jesus Christ and not warning people about the wrath of God. That's how this chapter ends and we're not going to go into that tonight. But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. And that is everybody who has not received the gospel. All men have the knowledge of Christ. They've all not received the gospel. That's why we must go and we must tell them. But they've all received some light. 
And we are debtors to the world. We should be proclaiming. We should be declaring. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Paul said you're called to be saints, which means holy ones. And the Catholic Church has really skewed that. You know, saints is this some higher status that only a select few get. Everyone who's received the gospel is called to be a saint, is a saint. They're holy ones. And as First Peter says, as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy. We ought to be holy so that the world will see the holiness of God in us and will believe the gospel. You know, Paul began his epistle by emphasizing this. But he also ended his epistle by emphasizing this in, in chapter 16. He says in verse 25 through 27, and, I, and this is the part where he also calls the gospel his. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but is now manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandments of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. It sounds a lot like the first passage, doesn't it? I think Paul is trying to emphasize something. The gospel is for all people. It's for all nations. And we should be proclaiming it. And we have this example of the church at Rome who were faithful to proclaim it. Paul says first in verse 8 of chapter 1 again, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. They were doing their duty as Christians. As those who have received the gospel, these people in Rome that we don't know a whole lot about, and we don't even know who their pastor was, they were faithful to proclaim the gospel to the world. And Paul says, I've heard, I've heard how you all have proclaimed. And he's letting you know, I, I'm thankful for you, I'm praying for you. We hear about you know, the things maybe that, that they are suffering for the gospel's sake. It wasn't a good time to be a Christian in Paul's day when he was writing this. So when he says that, that their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, it's probably not a good thing for them from man speaking. Because that means the whole world is going to be condemning them. is going to hate them. Especially the Jews. The Jews hated Jesus. So this church was an example. What about our church? Is our church showing forth the praise of Jesus Christ? Are we proclaiming the gospel that we have received among all nations? Do people see you as a servant of Jesus Christ? That's what Paul he didn't go in and expound upon any, anything of himself other than saying, I'm just a servant of Jesus Christ. He mentions in many other epistles that he is a prisoner, calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. And it's interesting that he chooses, when writing to the church at Rome, to call himself a servant. 
I think there's something to that. But how do people know you? What are your qualifying factors? Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? And what is the gospel to you? Is it your gospel? Have you received this eternal gospel? Now we are going to be proclaiming it and thanking God for it for all of eternity. And if you're not born again, you're going to miss out on that. You're going to be separated from God the Father. So I ask you, are you preaching this good news? Are you declaring this good news?